Well, it's our privilege tonight, and that's right, David reminded us that this is a privilege and an opportunity, and it is such to turn in our Bibles again to the book of Ephesians chapter 6, and to study God's Word together this evening. Yeah, we're not, uh, we're not proclaiming that Sunday evening services uh, are in any way commanded of us, and yet we can't think of a better way to close out the Lord's Day than to come back together, fellowship once again, and uh, open God's Word again, and listen to His Word and apply it to our lives and the lives of those whom we love. And so that's why we're here tonight. I trust that's why you're here as well this evening. Marty, could I have a little more volume on my microphone just for the sake of my voice? I got entirely too fired up. Thank you. Entirely too fired up in Sunday school this morning. And uh, if you were there for that, that was uh, not the intention. And then... Then Sunday morning comes so fast, 20 minutes after Sunday school, we're into the worship service, and then it's recoup and try not to talk too much during the afternoon. The best way not to talk during the afternoon is to sleep. So give that voice a total rest, and that's what I desired to do, and that is what I did do. So now we're back, and uh, we're going to continue on with our study. We're in the middle, if you're joining with us for the first time or haven't been here in a while, we're right in the middle of a little break point between first and second timothy we're studying through the pastoral epistles and we're going to get back to those in short order uh, starting with the the epistle the second epistle to timothy but in between we've taken just a few weeks really just to focus our attention on god's word and what it has to say from god's mind about the family we started by looking at the primary relationship of the family, the central nucleus of the family, which is the marriage relationship, what God had to say about us as husbands, men, and what God had to say about you ladies as wives, good moms and dads, in God's ideal intention, flow from good husbands and wives. And so we wanted to look at that first relationship and establish the norms that God intends for that relationship within the home. And now we have moved forward and we're talking about parenting as the fruit of the marriage relationship. We have focused this last week together, last Sunday night, we studied through a few of the principles found in Ephesians chapter 6 verse 4 as they pertain to marriage and to parenting in specific. Now let me remind you again here at the outset that this is not a practical, strategic study. This is not strategies from the life and experience of Adam Bailey. All 27 years of those experiences and all 10 months of parental experience I bring to you now to present to you. That's not what we're here for. We're here to hear from and to listen to the eternal God of the universe who has given us his mind clearly in his word and who guides us and directs us through his spirit in truth. And so that's what our goal is this evening. We posed the question last week, when it comes to the issue of parenting, and particularly scripturally when we look at the biblical model for parenting and the principles that are derived from scripture about parenting, the fundamental question for you parents or for you grandparents who are encouraging parents or for you who aren't parents but know someone who is a parent Okay, I'll try to make this as broad as possible. The key question is, what is the goal of parenting? What's the goal? What are we striving for? When will we know that we have been successful as parents? 
That's what's on our plate. That's what is on our hearts as we study through these passages of Scripture. If the answer to our question of what is the goal of parenting is a good kid, a child that obeys, that sits quietly, that doesn't embarrass us at restaurants or in the mall or some other external success, then our our method ought to be behavioral sciences. We ought to be able to radically transform the behavior of our child. If our goal is for successful parenting, to have children that are well-grounded in the disciplines of education, that are established with good jobs, doctors, lawyers, and the such, we look back, stand back as parents and say, we have done well. Then education is the answer to our need. If our goal is to have a child that knows a lot and knows how to use what they know, then education is our answer. If our goal is for our own ease, our own satisfaction, then we'll take the minimalist approach to parenting. And if our goal to be a successful parent is to have a child that feels good about themselves, that believes in themselves, and has bought into the concept of the world that you can be whatever you want to be, if you just believe it within yourself, then we would turn to a self-esteem approach to pile upon them all of the accolades and praise that we can muster for their little lives. All of those, when we come to Scripture, fall far short of what our standard as Christian parents and the Christian family should be. Our desire is not for good kids. It's not for good business models to be grown up in our home. It's not for those who believe in themselves and have a a healthy, in the world's perspective, a healthy self-esteem. Our desire is for heart and life transformation through the gospel. That has to be our standard. That has to be our desire. That has to be the measuring stick by which we continually evaluate the parenting that goes on in our own homes, the parenting that goes on in your children's homes, grandparents, A Christian family is one that is devoted in its parenting philosophy to raising up little disciples of Jesus Christ. Therefore, if that's the case, then what we desperately need is the grace of God to be active in and through us, minds that are renewed by His Word, His Spirit active in us as we serve and care for and lead our children. Successful parents are those who are faithful parents to the principles outlined by God himself for parents. Successful parents are faithful parents who are obedient, who apply the biblical principles that God himself has given for the family. We addressed this when we talked in 1 Timothy about ministry success. We talked about what it is to be a success in ministry, and this is obviously very pertinent to my own mindset. But the Christian culture, the evangelical landscape in our country, and not all around the world, is to measure our success by some external measuring stick, some external standard. So the successful ministry, the successful minister, is the one who has gathered the most people or who has the broadest reaching ministry influence 
who has in some circles the most money, the highest level of fame and accolade from those around him. And yet we see from Scripture that the successful minister is not based on the externals, but rather on the internal faithfulness of that shepherd to the clear directives that God has given in his word. No different for you as you shepherd little lives in your homes or as you shepherd your children who shepherd little lives, your grandbabies, in their homes. The desire and the goal must be the same. Faithfulness before God is success as it is accomplished by faith in His Spirit's work through us. Faithfulness is our goal. Transformation of heart and lives and little disciples is the ultimate desire for which we strive in parenting. Foundational principles from last week. Parents are to instruct their children. We looked at Deuteronomy chapter 4 and Deuteronomy chapter 6 that talked to the nation of Israel about their continual and generational instruction about who God is, what he has accomplished, the mighty deeds that he had done. Secondly, parents are to discipline their children. We looked at some of these passages from Proverbs, and we're going to look at those again this evening. And it is clear that our strategy, our method, must not come first and foremost from the world or from the culture around us or from the pop psychology around us, but rather from the infallible and inerrant Word of God. So we turned to the most clear and precise and pointed passage, and it really is just one verse, the most pointed passage about the demand, the biblical expectation and commands for the Christian home. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 4. If you're there, let's read that together. We'll start in verse 1 just to gather some context. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. That promise was given to us here in verse 3, recounted for us, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So we started last week into these four principles that are derived directly from verse 4 of Ephesians chapter 6. Number one, Christian parenting starts with the dad. Christian parenting and the responsibility for the Christian home is placed squarely upon the shoulders of the father. That falls in line with what we saw from Ephesians chapter 5, just one chapter back, about the relationship of the marriage of the husband and the wife. A husband bears the responsibility as overseer of his home. He bears the weight of responsibility even for the parenting that goes on in his absence in the home. And so we took a few moments to ask ourselves how we were doing in this responsibility. Were we encouraging others in this pursuit of Christian parenting that starts with fathers? Mothers are not addressed in Ephesians chapter 6, though they are clearly and throughout Scripture, they are clearly seen as a valuable and invaluable 
part of the parenting process. They are instructors. They are teachers. They are those who provide love and discipline in the home. And yet Ephesians 6, 4 focuses us, focuses us primarily on the fathers as the starting place for the Christian home. Moms are crucial, and yet dads are accountable before God. This is foundational to our understanding, and I trust that that was an encouragement to you last week. We moved secondly then to Christian parenting not only starts with the dad, but it avoids needless provocation. It avoids needless provocation. In the second part or second phrase here of Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4, it says, Do not provoke your children to anger. Christian parenting is a parenting that, invo- that avoids at all costs possible needless provocation. Let me remind you that this does not mean that we never do or say anything that makes our children angry. This means that we never needlessly provoke them to anger. We don't expect more from them than they're capable of giving, which causes immense frustration. We're intentional in our discipline and correction. We're consistent. The standard doesn't change by the hour or by the day or by how long it's been since we've eaten or how long it's been since we've had a nap. We're consistent to live what we teach, and we're willing to confess sin. We fill their little minds with the mind of God about sin and obedience. We have fun as a family. We repeatedly and creatively express our affection, and so on and so on. Christian parenting starts with the dad. And Christian parenting then flows from the dad. It does not provoke children needlessly to anger. Thirdly, then, we come to the third phrase tonight. Christian parenting includes discipline in the Lord. Christian parenting includes discipline in the Lord. There is one negative. Christian parents do not provoke their children to anger, and now there are two positives. But, on the contrast of provoking them to anger, they bring them up, they nurture them, they develop them, they grow them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. These two positive attributes of the Christian family. We talked last week about the idea of a Christian family. Well, I grew up, you'll hear someone say in their testimony of how Christ saved them, I grew up in a Christian home. What does that mean? What does that look like? How we know if in fact we could label our home as a Christian home. A Christian family is one that not only includes people who claim to be Christians in it, but that sets its course upon the foundation of what God has revealed in His Word because of the saving work of Christ in the lives of its leaders. And its leaders are represented in you, moms, and you, dads. So these are just the basic principles. Christian Parenting includes discipline in the Lord. Now, let me set something straight, and I think we mentioned this last week, but I want to talk about this just a moment tonight. Your kids are not good. My child is not good. I mentioned this this morning even from Romans chapter 3 and verse 10. It is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. 
All have turned aside. Together they become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave and their tongues to deceive. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. The mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood and their paths are ruin and misery and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. That's what was born into your family. (laughs) Those are your precious little children. They are born with Adam's guilt. They are born with the sin nature that will give them a propensity to live out the realities of Romans chapter 3. Therefore, when we set ourselves into thinking about discipline within our homes, correction, discipline, guiding, chastisement, whatever fancy word we'd like to use, we need to start at the place of understanding that we're not dealing with something that is primarily morally good. We are interacting, whether it be at the grandparent level, whether it be at the aunt and uncle level, whether it be at the parent level, with little sinful human beings. Children are not good, and good children do not pick the wrong crowd. For a number of years in my own life, there was the hubbub that I was a good kid, but was running with the wrong group. That's a fallacy. Good kids don't pick the wrong crowd. Wrong kids pick the wrong crowd. Okay? The heart directs the desire for friends and for company. So understand that your children are not inherently good. Romans 5, verse 12 to 21, explain again that Adam is their father. They come to you with a sinful bent and propensity. Therefore, discipline becomes of the utmost importance. This is something that is extremely difficult to speak of in our present day culture. But discipline, from the biblical standpoint, is a very clear correction for wrongdoing within the home. It is a consistent and persistent addressing of the heart issues of sin and correcting them with consequences. Discipline can have people at your front door taking your children away in a moment. Discipline can cause you persecution among your local mom's group that you get together with. Discipline at the park can cause major scorn for your parenting method. And yet discipline for the Christian family is a necessity. It is a command. It is clearly an expectation from God's word of what we're to be about as parents what we're to be about is encouraging those who are striving to be Christian families. Discipline is a big part of the picture in the book of Proverbs. And if you flip back to the book of Proverbs in your Old Testaments, let's look at just a few of these passages that speak to us about the discipline of children. We'll start in chapter 15 of Proverbs, and this is not an an exhaustive reading, but we'll read a couple of these just to give us a perspective. Proverbs chapter 15 and verse 32. Proverbs 15 and verse 32. Whoever ignores instruction despises himself, but he who listens to reproof gains 
intelligence. The fear of the Lord is instruction in wisdom, and humility comes before honor. So this addresses the heart of the child, or of the adult for that matter, who receives the word instruction is the same word we get discipline from. The one who neglects or ignores the discipline of his life despises himself. Why? Because the end is ruined. To ignore the discipline that comes, the correction, the consequences, is to set yourself on a course for destruction. Chapter 19, just a page or two over in your Bible. Chapter 19 and verse 18. Discipline your son, for there is hope. It's good news. There is hope. Discipline your son, for there is hope. Do not set your heart on putting him to death. Now, why would you be setting your heart on putting him to death? Well, because you believe there is no hope for him in this life. And yet there is. There is hope if you will discipline your son. A clear instruction from the books of wisdom. Discipline your son, for there is hope. Proverbs chapter 29 and verse 15, maybe the most common. The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. The rod and reproof give wisdom. They provide a means by which to live life applying knowledge. Let me break that down for you. Wisdom, when you come into the kitchen as a six-year-old, and see that the cookie jar is still there. Wisdom is knowing that the last time you took one of those without asking, something bad happened. Therefore, you can apply the knowledge that you have, and you can live wisely as a six-year-old in the kitchen. The rod and reproof, verse 15 says, give wisdom. But a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. Discipline is not something that we can say is a give or a take. It is not an issue that is negotiable negotiable before Scripture. It's not something that you can sit and argue with God about. It is to be the consistent pattern for the Christian home. It's clearly outlined in Scripture that we be faithful to discipline our children. This is becoming a real hot-button issue in our culture. And it is a real concern to say, if I discipline my child in any way with corporal punishment at any level, I'm in danger of being accused for abuse of my child. And the accusation is all that is needed for my child to be taken away, or my children to be taken away and out of my home. That is true. That is a reality. That does happen. And so while we need to we need to be live wisely within the culture in which we live. We can never live in a way that neglects the clear commands of Scripture for us as Christian parents. What I'm saying is there's no excuse that is valid for setting aside a clear instruction from God's Word for the sake of your own personal uh, fear or your own personal safety or some other ulterior motive. Can there be wisdom? Should there be wisdom in how we apply this principle in the daily settings of our lives? Absolutely. Is there a measure of wisdom that says we will not flaunt discipline? Absolutely. Will we use code words for discipline? 
That's probably smart. When you're in the grocery store and your child is very much aware that you're not going to do anything in the grocery store, you may want to say something along the lines of, we are going home soon. (laughs) Or we're going home right now. Leave your shopping cart. It's okay. You can get the groceries later. And fulfill your responsibility to love your child through discipline. Discipline comes with a number of questions about how it is to be done. What is the right means or the right method to use? Let me speak first and foremost to the right heart that should accompany your discipline. Go back to Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 4. And at the end of that positive instruction, that twofold positive instruction, we find a three-letter or three-word phrase, of the Lord. Bring them up in the discipline of the Lord. Whenever you come to, this is just a grammatical note, but whenever you come to an of the Lord, you're, you have to ask yourself, is it discipline from the Lord? Is he the subject providing the action, or is he the object? Is it that we discipline them in such a way as to make him the object of the discipline? I think the best way to understand this is the goal for us is for our kids to recognize through our discipline the glorious love and message of the gospel that comes from the Lord himself. So you are disciplining as to the Lord or from or of the Lord in such a way as to promote and to make much of God in your discipline. This sets you apart from the disciplinary home of the non-believer. The goal of non-believing discipline is behavior modification. The goal of a Christian discipline is for discipleship, for an addressing of the heart to expose the Lord to a little life. And this will take some effort on our parts as parents. Discipline must mirror the loving discipline of our Heavenly Father for His children. How profound it is to tell your children that when you sin against God, He disciplines you, He chastises you as His child and as your loving Heavenly Father. And your discipline must mirror, must reflect that loving discipline from the Father. You say, how? Well, here's some practical insights from one much older than myself. Dr. Wayne Mack gives these insights. Discipline that is taught in the Bible is a clear representation of what should be done in the home. Discipline, like God's discipline of His people. Clear boundaries must be established. Arbitrary rules must be avoided. Explain why you have a rule. And then hold the rule if in fact it is a valid boundary for your home. Rules are for the good of your children, not for the ease of your own life. Talked a little bit about that last week. Model your rules for them. Show them that as an authority, you live under the guidelines that you have established. Chastise with the rod. For your younger children. I don't know how to tell you other than to say that rod is is a really good translation. Um, And I would not in any way promote for you in the present day culture that you go buy a a new broom and lop off the broom part of the broom. Okay? And come home to your kids and say, well, guess what? We went to church on Sunday night and it was the worst thing for you that has ever happened. Okay? Okay? But be clear, there is a physical aspect 
to the chastisement of children. Chastised with severity that matches the crime. Different methods can serve different purposes for different children who have different offenses against you as a parent. So discipline with the severity that matches the sin. Chastise with the gospel. I trust this is a part of your consistent pattern, parents. I trust this is a part of your encouragement, grandparents, and even your pattern as you discipline and have opportunity to work with your grandchildren. That you discipline with the gospel. What does that mean? Every time we are chastised or disciplined in this life, it is a gracious opportunity afforded us to realize that sin, wrongdoing, has consequences. Every single time the message of the gospel is brought to bear on us, because we have fallen short, there will be a consequence. It's a tremendous opportunity for us to speak the truth to little hearts. Why is it that that little heart has chosen to disobey its authority? Because that little heart has a sin problem that cannot be cured apart from Jesus Christ. For us to discipline with the gospel, it would demand of us that we discipline apart from anger. It would demand of us that we discipline with a heart that is focused on the best interest of our children. So we discipline with the gospel. We discipline with love flowing from our hearts. It may be appropriate at times to delay discipline so that you can go to your room And you can get before the Lord and place your heart in the right place so that you can discipline with the truth. And not with the frustration of the 18th time dealing with the same issue. We have family that have a number of kids. And I would never name which kid, but one of their children, my wife's sister's family, has eight children under eight. So if you're struggling, moms, with the whole discipline thing, just think about it. Eight children under eight committed to being a Christian family. Several of the children are deadly afraid of the dog. So the dog happened to be in the house, a big, loving golden retriever, and two of the children happened to be at the top of the stairs, and it was time to go. And so mommy said, come on down the steps, we need to go. They started to cry, and they said, no. Mommy said to come down the steps. You need to obey mommy. They said, we're afraid of the dog. Mommy went and took the dog. Said, I'm going to hold on to the dog. You come. I'm holding Max. You come and go get in the car. And then it turned a corner from fear to rebellion. Seven straight disciplines before with tears streaming down everybody's face, mom included, Finally, a little resistant heart broke under the authority of its parent and came down and went to the car. There will be times when we'll have to set ourselves in order. On the sixth time, it gets old dealing with the same issue over and over and over again. And yet our desire ought to be to discipline with discipleship as our goal. Therefore, we discipline with the gospel. We discipline with love. We also discipline with unity. Mom and dad should discipline alike. Mom and dad should never be able to be pitted against one another for the sake of offsetting discipline. There ought not to be a favorite in our homes for who you got in trouble with. 
I mean, come on. I mean, let's just be open with each other. Everybody who lived in a home where there was any discipline has usually some aspect of favoritism towards a particular authority figure in their home. I know I did. There was one who was physically bigger and stronger than all the rest. There was one who was seemingly more authoritative with a huge, booming, deep voice. And yet, both my sister and I would willingly admit to you and confess, we would rather have the big one than the small one who stayed home with us all day long. The small one was the one that we wanted to avoid when it came to discipline. And yet, we knew in our home that there was such unity in the family that mom and dad would even speak to one another before the discipline was doled out for whatever the disobedience was or the sin in our lives of lying or whatever the case was. We need to discipline with unity. Discipline as consistently as possible. And this is where the rubber meets the road. And Renee and I are dealing and battling with this in our own lives. If Ephesians 4 speaks to us that we are to bring our children up in discipline, then that is to be an ongoing, consistent pattern of our lives. This is where it gets very difficult. Why? Because we're lazy and we're tired and we worked hard today and we don't want to deal with the issue. Therefore, we use replacement methods. When we say no to a certain thing and there is a response of rebellion to our saying no, we use a distraction method rather than discipline. Well, what about this? No to that. There's a crying. There's a stomping of the feet there's some response of anger and rebellion against the authority and we just start dancing and waving something else over here hoping that the attention will be diverted and that we won't have to deal with the issue with discipline we use replacement techniques we use movement we just constantly take things we take the child away from whatever it is that they want to have instead of dealing with the fact that we have said no and they have continually gone back to the very thing that they were instructed not to do. We have to be consistent if we're going to be effective and obedient as a Christian family in discipline. We need to discipline so as to make it wise to obey next time. Okay, I trust that you understand the weight of what I'm saying. We need to discipline in such a way as to make it wise to obey next time. We need to discipline with a heart that is focused on love. Love for our Father in heaven who has given us clear commands through his word and has provided his son to save us and his spirit to guide us. And love for our child whom we desire to see brought up in the nurture, the discipline, and the instruction or the admonition of the Lord. This is a difficult area for those of us who are young parents like myself. This is very difficult. It's hard for us because we don't like discipline in our own lives. We don't enjoy doling out discipline to others. And we don't like the effort that it takes for us to discipline, and I speak on my own part, to discipline with a mindset that desires to bring the gospel to bear on the little life that is being disciplined. And yet this is the clear instruction. If we are going to be a biblical, a Christian home, then Christian parenting starts with the dad It does not needlessly provoke children to anger, but it does bring them up in the discipline of the Lord. This is a crucial aspect for the home. Finally then, that last little phrase, Christian parenting includes instruction in the Lord. 
So discipline in the Lord and instruction in the Lord. Parenting must address the mind, not just the will. Okay? We can get a mindset when it comes to discipline that our whole job as a parent is just to attack and break a will that is resistant and rebellious to authority. And while there is value in establishing a submissiveness in that will to a temporal, earthly authority, our greater, our greater goal must be to address the mind, the heart, of that little life with instruction that flows directly from the Lord. No different than a discipline that flows directly from the Lord Himself. Influence and leadership is consistency in bringing God's mind to bear on the life circumstances of others. And this goes outside of the bounds of discipline. Within our homes, it ought to be our desire to constantly, as husbands and wives, as parents, to constantly bring God's mind to bear on the life circumstances that are going on around us. From injuries and the problem of evil, why is it that God allowed this to happen? To discipline, why is it that we do what we do? All the way to why is it that we have so much fun together as a family? Why do we attend church on Sundays? What is the instruction that is the basis for the Christian home? The instruction is not life principles. It's not practical wisdom. Though those are valuable, they are enormously valuable in the life of the young person. The instruction that is clearly defined for the Christian home is instruction that flows from the Lord himself bringing God's mind to bear on your children or your grandchildren's life experience. This will take some effort, but I trust that we could sit and meditate on these and allow the Spirit to help us apply these even practically in our lives. The Bible speaks wisdom to every aspect of life, and as parents, this must consume our interaction with our children. You know, we don't, we don't do this naturally. This doesn't come natural for us to constantly bring God's mind to bear on the circumstances of others around us. Why? Because our minds are not naturally consumed with God's mind and his view of what's going on around us. Naturally, in our natural man, we are focused on our own perspective of what is happening around us. So it is our challenge to know the instruction of the Lord so that we can communicate it to our children. Start backing this up. What does this mean? This means you have to know what the instruction of the Lord is if you're going to faithfully and consistently give it to those that you love and are nurturing up in the Lord. This demands of us a persistence and a consistency in our study of God's mind, in a a careful hearing, of his word. This demands of us, this drives us to a consistent devotional life that nurtures a relationship with God himself through Christ. The Spirit's direction that would so consume our meditation that in seeing our children, whether they are obedient or disobedient, whether we are confirming them or whether we are instructing them to change and correcting them, whether we are speaking about something we see out on the road, whether they say, horse, horse, and we talk about the creative ability of our God, whether they see a crash on the freeway and ask us what happened, we say, those are lives. Remember, 
that life comes to an end. And when life comes to an end, there is a judgment. We need to pray for those people. Constantly consumed with the instruction that is from the Lord, this is the defining mark of the Christian family. Second Peter 1 verse 3 tells you that the scriptures give you everything you need for life and godliness. The Christian home is the word-centered home. This is convicting. It's convicting for me as much as it is I trust for you. How central is the word of God to the life of our family? Go back to principle number one. Christian parenting starts with dad. How much, dad, grandpa, how much is the word of God central to your life? How much is the mind of God consuming your meditation and your perspective on the circumstances that are around you? How much then are you leading your family, serving your family by bringing the Word of God as a consistent basis for discussion, for interaction, for listening within the home? And then how much do you turn and apply it with wisdom to the circumstances within your children's lives? The Christian home disciplines in the Lord and it instructs in the Lord. Let me say finally that It's crucial for you to utilize every resource you have, right? This is not some rant against other resources that will help you in this pursuit of raising up little disciples of Jesus Christ. This is not to say that there are not valuable resources available to you that you should steward with all your might. Whether it be seeds programs, Sunday schools, student ministries, Christian schools, homeschool groups, co-ops, public school Bible studies, video series, Christian music within the home, Christian music with videos in the home, whatever resources you can bring that will further your effort to bring God's mind to bear upon your family, use them. Use them. Serve your young people with God's word. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of of the Lord. The buck stops with dad. The goal of parenting is rearing disciples of Christ. And as we commit our marriages to godly parenting, children will become a glue. They draw us together. They bring us tighter in our focus as a married couple rather than a wedge that divides us and isolates us from each other. Let me give you a couple resources, recommend a few resources for you if you're interested in reading some excellent books on parenting. Shepherding a Child's Heart is probably the number one resource that I could recommend. Shepherding a Child's Heart by Ted Tripp. If you don't have that, if you can't write that down or you don't remember it, you just send an email to the church and we'll be sure to grab a copy of that for you. Shepherding a Child's Heart by Ted Tripp. If you're raising teenagers or if you're a grandparent of teenagers, you might want to be reading Age of Opportunity by Ted's brother, Paul Tripp. I don't have any personal connection with these people. There's no uh, reason that I'm promoting them other than that these are excellent biblical books. Age of Opportunity by Paul Tripp. And then finally, one of my favorites in my own life has been Disciplines of a Godly Family by Kent and Barbara Hughes. Disciplines of a Godly Family, written by a couple who is well in years, and has seen their children raised and gone from their home 
and have been successful because they were faithful to pursue in obedience what God had clearly outlined for the Christian home. I hope that's helpful. I know that's just a cursory look at Ephesians 6, but it's been a challenge to me as a young parent. I trust it's a challenge to you, whether you are a young parent, whether you're a grandparent, whether you're a friend of a parent, an aunt and uncle, whatever the case, the clear representation from our scriptures is that those who are believers pass on the realities, the truths about God and about his work from generation to generation. Let's take that seriously, not provoking to anger, but disciplining and instructing as coming directly from the Lord himself.